0: Welcome to Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I'm your host for this week's Grad Chat. Of course a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and Postdoctoral Affairs as well as CFRC, so thank you very much to both of them. Now, if your mates miss the show at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify or CFRC Podcast. So no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. But today, I'd like to introduce you to Gabrielle Pulver, who is doing a Master's in Environmental Studies under the supervision of Drs. Kristen Lowett and Mick Smith. Welcome to Grad Check, Gabrielle. Thank you. Happy to be here. I am very glad that you're here. I love it when students say, yes, I want to come into the studio, Colette, because that's so much nicer and it's gives you a better ambience I think for, for doing this yeah <laughs> is that why you wanted to come in as opposed to just doing it online
1: yeah I definitely I wanted to experience the whole deal I wanted to see what it was like in here being so curious being on campus for so long and yeah get the and now that we can be in
0: person every opportunity that exactly I, can get. I know all these you know the, the people who still want to stay away I mean I get it to a point but I totally missed seeing people. So I'm glad you said yes to this, which is great. (laughs) So let's get on with it. Okay. So you're in environmental studies. Why did you want to go into environmental studies first? I mean, what was your background?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I I actually was at Queens for my undergrad, and I did a major in philosophy. And I was super interested in um, environmental ethics. I actually did a course with Dr. McSmith um, in my fourth yeah. year about environmental ethics and all the other kind of ethics courses I did, as opposed to maybe metaphysics and epistemology and all that, I really enjoyed that up applied philosophy element to my degree and then you know with the climate crisis it's something that I really care about I uh, follow kind of Greta's journey when on social media when she kind of popped up and um, I also did a B.Ed at Queen's as well and working with kids kind of in summer jobs and throughout the year and as someone you know as who was concerned about the environment myself, seeing the climate anxiety so big right now. So I initially was thinking about looking into youth climate anxiety and looking at youth action in the climate crisis, and then that transformed into kind of more of a specific movement within the climate crisis on water, Mm -hmm. and that kind of happened just by talking to my supervisors and working with them as well, but yeah, I had this sort of this passion about the environment and wanted to do something about it, so I figured I wanted to learn about doing graduate research and how that was like, what that was like, and also... Kind of, uh, while well, I test it out, learn about the skills, learn more about the climate crisis and how to be a part of
0: the movement. Which is great. I mean, we need more people like you, uh, as we know. <laughs> we can't deny the climate crisis right now, even though I know there's still those people who think it's all fiction. when it's not so I'm glad that you're doing that for us and I'm glad that you're following your passion for doing this and of course as you mentioned you're talking a little bit about water protection Mm -hmm. and the title of your thesis is water is life creative action to heal bodies of water what a fabulous title normally titles thesis titles are so (laughs) long-winded And I love this one. It's just really nice. And it's actually quite, uh, I think I used the word earlier when we were chatting, (laughs) Zen-like. It makes you feel relaxed and things. Although you have got that word creative action to heal bodies of water. So clearly there's things that we need to do there. Mm -hmm. So can you just give us a a bit of a general overview of what you're trying to accomplish in in your Master of Environmental Studies, which is only a two-year program. Yes.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I'm actually coming to the end soon. I'm you know, finishing off uh, this August, early September. So good question to have at the end of the degree. Yes. (laughs) Thinking back, looking back over the two years. So, you know, other than getting the experiences of learning how to do research in a kind of social sciences setting by interviewing people, um, in the field because my background was in humanities. This particular research tells a story about the role of creative action within the water protection movement, specifically at Lake Superior, because that's I had funding to do my work around Lake, the Lake Superior watershed. Okay. So I talked to eight people specifically I emailed other people, but eight people around the Lake Superior Watershed on both sides of the border. And I originally was thinking about art activism because that's kind of a very, that's in all the protests you see, all the marches. There's always signs, really colorful signs, and there's songs and there's chants right. and there's, there's art everywhere within... Um, activist movements and sometimes it's more subtle sometimes it's just kind of graffiti on the wall so I was thinking a lot about that because we know there's a lot out in the literature about social movement theory but there isn't a whole ton about this kind of more creative element and what that can do within the movement and um, what that looks like and there isn't a whole ton about that within water protection especially at like Superior. So there was this gap in the literature and it kind of just merged into this incredibly focused <laughs> uh, research <laughs> as, as it happens with only um, a master's degree because, you know, it's only so long. So I talked to participants and what emerged from those discussions was how really what they do is this creative work to, as a, a big part of it, is to heal themselves. Because I was talking about, you know, anxiety and a lot of people feel really anxious, angry, concerned, upset, grieved about the environment and um, water is a big part of that. Uh, The water issues are directly related to climate crisis and back and um, vice versa. So they a lot of the time do it to heal themselves. So that's why I have that. And then, of course, the uh, motivation is to heal the water and to heal the climate. So there's kind of these two sides of the same coin, uh, which we can talk about more if you'd like.
0: Well, it's interesting, because before we even go to the other stuff, it's kind of like a yin and yang type thing. It's like, you know, if we can look after the water, we can help look after ourselves. Exactly. If we look after ourselves, what do we need to look after ourselves? We all need water. So exactly. they kind of, I don't know if that's yin and yang, but anyway, it works. <laughs> so both the, the, the combination together is, is very, very important, isn't it? Yes.
1: Yeah. And you mentioned um, that we all need water and that's a huge part of a thought I had and after talking to these participants I talked to it's a huge thing that emerged was this deep in body connection to water because of course we're all high percentage of water within our own we need water every single day we need water to survive and so we have this very intimate connection to water.
0: I found when I first came to Canada and I think I've said this before in another session but I was amazed of how much water there is here in Canada uh, in the Great Lakes I mean I even just Lake Ontario which I know is not a big lake compared to the others But it's just huge. And coming from Australia, where there's not a lot of water in Australia, not a lot of fresh water, to come to a place where there's an abundance of water, it was just like, oh, my God, I was in my element. And think, look at all this water. This is fantastic. And I remember the first one of the first few years I was here, there was a drought or so-called drought here in Canada. And everyone went, went on water restrictions. And I started laughing. Now, not to say water restrictions we shouldn't be doing, because we need to conserve our water. But it made me laugh, because I just looked out the window. I go, but look at all that water there. Whereas back home, that would be like a little pond compared to this great big lake. So it's, it's kind of all relative, but it's mm-hmm. still important to look after our water, isn't it? Yeah,
1: and you raise a really interesting point about how it looks like we have so much water, because the Great Lakes do make up a really large portion of our freshwater surface freshwater not talking about groundwater mm-hmm. and Lake Ontario I you know if I have friends who visit me here and I say lake maybe they imagine a little lake that you can canoe on and you can canoe on Lake Ontario but for anyone who's canoeed on Lake it's a really big lake. The waves can be quite mighty. Yes. And my mom grew up on the coast in Wales. And she says that here reminds her of there because sometimes in storms, we get such big waves. So it's a little, it's a large lake in a lot of ways, not as big as Lake Superior. That's massive. massive. But it's funny, the word lake does make us think of a smaller place. But yeah, it's, it's a big part of our fresh water. So we do really need to work on protecting and taking care of, of the water we
0: have here. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm glad there's people like you doing this. Thank you. So one of the other things you mentioned in your synopsis here for me was you wanted to take the lens of a a feminist ethics of care. Mm
1: -hmm. What does that mean? Great question. So Carol Gilligan is the philosopher ethicist um, that I'm working from. She wrote a book in 1982, I believe, called In a Different Voice and she along with another actually who wrote around the same time i talked about this ethics of care and she's an american and this emerged out of abortion laws that were kind of getting okay. which is really relevant now again <laughs> but at the time you know was kind of emerging and a big it became a big topic because women finally had the opportunity to advocate for themselves with abortion and think about taking care of themselves and right. so with the society that we live in where the patriarchal voice is very dominant it's you know this is where my philosophy degree really helped me out because i learned in a big way in my undergrad that our western society is very much based off cartesian dualism and sort of this very rational uh, with air quotes way of thinking where it's what we are separate from others we shouldn't have emotions as part of our decision making that's frowned upon and still is many ways today (laughs) right that's crazy yeah right what a concept (laughs) and so where this ties into women's rights is where and just you know people who aren't the white (laughs) patriarchal kind of rules. The Western society is that a lot of times voices get, you know, minimized, diminished, um, demeaned. And so, yeah, this was a great opportunity for women to advocate for themselves with rights of abortion and say, I need to take care of myself. I can't, you know, this doesn't make sense for me to birth right now like I need to and she interviewed a lot of people but even though there was this ability a lot of women still felt really guilty about it and they didn't think that they could and again so relevant today and so she wrote a book about how we need to have this ethics of care that looks at self and others as relational because the truth of the Mm -hmm. world is that we're all we we're always embodied beings that have emotions. We always have emotional experiences that guide our choices, whether we choose Crazy. to say that or not. Like logic involves emotions, mm-hmm. and as well, we are always relating to others. But as we all know, we cannot take care of others if we don't take care of ourselves. Right. So this lens really thinks about taking care of ourselves and others and thinking about these relational links and this kind of element of emotions. And so I kind of relate it to the climate crisis and um, water protection and the motivations that the participants I interviewed had to do this kind of creative action within water protection because they're thinking a lot about themselves and other bodies of water and protecting everyone on earth right which is we're all tied together and we can see that with the climate crisis how our actions have greatly impacted nature right and also lots of communities who are very affected by the climate more so than other communities so we're all connected (laughs) and a lot of people are incredibly concerned about the environment so emotions definitely tie into these decisions and even tie into the decision to not protect the environment because maybe You know, the drive to have some oil or some production of something that's uh, more consumer based is driving the desire more so than, you know, the immediate or the long term idea of protecting a body of water. Well, this is
0: where we need to listen more to the indigenous peoples around the world. Yeah. Because they've learned how to live as part of the environment as opposed to being separated from the environment. They they work with the environment. Uh, and we can learn lots from that, can't we?
1: Yeah, and I don't know a whole ton about Australia. Yes. <laughs> Australia's indigenous peoples, but a few of the people I talked with are Anishinaabe, Ojibwe, and Cree, and they definitely talked up to, to that. To to them, one person in particular was saying how activism and is kind of just a part of his existence, like it, protecting. The water is just a part of who he is and his art that he creates. The water's life message just is embedded within that. It's a teaching that's just there because they, as you say, very much it's, you know, part of not only is it this idea of living in balance with nature, but also cultural life ways are intrinsically connected to the surrounding nature, which is where this element of uh, racism and colonialism can come in when in the whole scheme of the climate crisis as well.
0: Yes, we've been brought up in a society that plunders, as opposed to looks for balance. Yes, yeah. We, t- we can be very, gr- a very greedy species, indeed, which is rather unfortunate for a, a so-called intelligent species. I, I, I wonder at times. Yeah, me too. I don't think too. we're quite as intelligent as we put ourselves out to be. <laughs> yep, <laughs> Yep. <laughs> So tell me a little bit more about this creative action and what that actually means because you're saying you, you thought about looking at the art part of it and then you wanted to go on to a little bit a different sort of creative. Was it just that part of talking to other people about how they feel about it and then next part of that you know how does this help what you're trying to do?
1: Yeah good question both both questions are great. The first one creative action so that actually that term emerged from talking with the participants I interviewed because as I said earlier I originally was thinking about this term art activism Mm -hmm. very similar of course we see art in galleries we see art everywhere and you know art and galleries can also have this sort of activist component this message of action to do something within a social movement but it can also not it can also just be a beautiful landscape that we just love and appreciate or can be very abstract and you know yeah so it's hard to sort of exactly define what maybe art activism is because It can be so many things and so many art can look like that
0: and it's someone's interpretation and it's someone's
1: interpretation exactly and is it the you know desire of the artist to have this interpretation or maybe the viewer to create it when they see it so it's all over the map there but it is the idea of art activism you know a big basis for it is that it has this ultra purpose of contributing to a movement's goals um it's meant to sort of move someone to thinking or to to discussing ideas that maybe they wouldn't otherwise or to challenge um, a societal viewpoint that's in the norm and to plant the seed of maybe some desire to act or to change. So creative action, and so I'm using that term instead of art activism, because I talked, one of the questions I had in my interviews was how do they define art? And how do how do they think about their actions? And right. a few of um, specifically the indigenous peoples I spoke with, one lady in specific said how Western term art doesn't always capture all the activities that she does. So for example, sometimes she does something that she considers as more ceremony, it's not art. So that was a really big reason one of the reasons why I didn't use the term art activism to to be inclusive to everyone that I'm talking with and other times so sometimes a ceremony not art sometimes other people said everything I do is both art and activism because it's as I said earlier kind of tied together other people I talked to didn't necessarily define themselves as an artist maybe more so someone who was a creator did creative ways of engaging with um, water protection and other other issues so could Apart from
0: the physical drawing type yeah. thing, could it be by word? You know, yeah, you know, poems and yeah, songs. Yeah, exactly.
1: And... Everything from poetry to performance to murals to music to visual art. Um, That's all in my term, creative actions, all captured there. And another big part of it, too, is, again, kind of the more Indigenous people I was talking with, they really emphasize this idea of action and creation. So, again, we kind of tend to box off these different ideas in Western in English language, where it's something is art, and you go and you do art specifically. But whereas maybe within an Indigenous culture, you create art, but it also has another purpose, and it's a very action element you know, element purpose, not just art, it's something more than that. So yeah, that's why creative action is the term. And sometimes they, as I said, describe themselves as artists. So I do kind of use those terms to talk about specific people. But when I'm talking about what they do in general, I
0: use creative action. And so how does this creative action heal bodies of water? Great question. <laughs> yeah. Other than I know, that, you know, I You know, way back there was certain government policies put in place because of pollution of some of these Great Lakes Mm -hmm. and a lot of them are being cleaned up, which is great, a little bit too late, but at least (laughs) they're getting cleaned up. But what else does this creative action part do to help heal those bodies mm. of water, which is so important to us. Yes, and as you say, there are
1: policies and uh, work in place to clean up the Great Lakes specifically. There's the Great Lakes Agreement, which is with the states and Canada. That's been going on since the 70s, I believe, and that's an act to, you know, help protect the Great Lakes. And that's great. It's great that's happening, but the fact of the matter is that there's still issues with the Great Lakes. And Lake Superior is considered one of the most pristine lakes in the world and yet it is full of high levels of mercury and so some of the participants I was talking to said that they have mercury poisoning within their community because of the high levels of mercury within Lake Superior. And Anishinaabe, Ojibwe people specifically, um, um, fishing and smelt and rice harvesting, it's all part of their cultural life Mm -hmm. So not doing that is not an option. Yet with the high levels of mercury within the water, it's inevitable that people will get high levels of mercury within their own bodies. And that actually can be intergenerational, I was told, and passed through generations as well. So yeah, we, we see Lake Superior and it's beautiful and it's stunning if you've been out there. But... We can't see the pollution within it, and something to do, I, I'm not a scientist, but I did look up how this works, and something to do with because it's um, so cold and so big that that combination creates the to- The toxins from even from far away can actually get attracted to that area oh, of water. So right. even if it's not immediate in the area where high levels of mercury are entering the earth or the waterways, it, it goes into it can like Superior, and yeah. Else. So these issues with um, using overusing um, toxins within our own you know human actions or having an oil spill somewhere else there's lots of pipelines kind of around Lake Superior as well but having that happen elsewhere can actually go into the lake and pollute the lake and then pollute everyone who's around it who relies on that water for survival right. so when I use the term bodies of water um, another uh, some it's used as a term to describe places like a lake like Lake Superior name, an author wrote Bodies of water a book about that, which I discovered after I had thought of this. <laughs> so my supervisor, uh, one of my supervisors recommended I read it and I realized, okay, she is completely on par with what I'm thinking of. So I use her no, quotes all the time. Yeah, it worked out really well. Other people, you know, when other people think of things you think of, it's very validating. Um, so she'd written this book already, so yeah, lots of good quotes in there about this idea of bodies of water. But it's just this idea that you know, we have the bodies of water like lakes, which are bodies and then we ourselves are bodies of water, as I said earlier, mm-hmm. made up with water. And It really captures this idea where if the lake is polluted and we, you know, drink the water, eat the food that the water travels um, and supports, we ourselves can be sick. So we need to take care of Lake Superior to take care of ourselves and all the surrounding life, such as the plants that we eat Mm -hmm. and the animals and it's all connected, right? Right. Um, And then... On the other side of it, we need to take care of ourselves in order to help amplify the voice of the voice of the lake, or the voice um, that can't speak for us. I can't. The lake can't advocate for itself, right? right. We yes. need to be the people. We need to, we need to ha- use our voices it. to mm-hmm. stop our human actions that are polluting the lake. So we need to do that. We need to make sure that we're okay and our mental health is taken care of, and we have community support. So creative actions. This is where creative actions come in because. Lots of times, if you do a community workshop, or you do a mural, or that's very visible within the community, or you have a group of people that come together, like the Solidarity Collective in Thunder Bay that came together to paint a mural in Thunder Bay and a bus in Thunder Bay,
0: Um,
1: they, they get together with their community, and they have community support to talk about issues related to water pollution, including racism and Indigenous cultural resurgence, and they... Can share their grief with each other, and they can feel supported and it's an out a lot of the people I talked to said it's an outlet for their emotions right. of grief and mm-hmm. anger and frustration, and they don't feel so alone in that and so the hope is that when they put these do community workshops with people you know free workshops in the community or they make a mural that's visible or they write a piece of poetry that they share. Other people cannot feel so alone either. And social media is great that way. A lot of them have Instagram accounts where they share their works. Right. And then you don't feel like you're the only one concerned. And maybe you can reach out and have the com- community support, which we all need. So yeah, creative action heals ourselves as bodies of water in that way. It's a way of taking care of ourselves. Because you actually have a kind of like a, a way to direct these emotions of feeling overwhelmed right. about the crisis. You can actually try to do something. And then the whole point of it is that it's trying to help you know, push policies or to change people's minds about how we treat the environment and in this case, specifically the water.
0: But that's, you brought up a good point. How do we make the people who make the policies listen? Yeah. We can have a lot of smaller um, communities who are doing, trying to do the right thing and helping each other. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, they're only, the, if you look at Lake Superior, the, the shoreline of Lake Superior is huge. Yes. So how do we make sure the whole of the lake is looked after as opposed to maybe just a few individual areas which, like you said, something could be happen miles away and come down in effect, but it hasn't happened in their area, mm-hmm. but it's come down from somewhere else. So how do we, how do we take these voices and this, this looking after each other how do we take that to make those pollies listen? Yeah,
1: and I, I I, was thinking about that question a lot too. And when I first started this research, I was thinking about, you know, how does it affect the audience? We I mean, realized that that was way too big of a project for me to survey a whole yes. <laughs> uh, group of people. So I really focused on how it, how it helped um, the people involved um, and what their goals were. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the times their goals were to, you know, emotionally support others who feel also concerned which is to hopefully inspire others to feel concerned and then you know vote for it and then hopefully uh, chain... yeah vote uh, for policies right. that will or you know join um, activist groups that kind of can help um, activate this change that can you know yeah trickle down to <laughs> or trickle up or and also yeah a lot of a lot of the emphasis was on supporting themselves and the community but I, I love this question because if I You know the next steps I think for this, if I did more research or whatever kind of work I end up doing, I think would be looking not necessarily at creative action as as an element within the movement, but how the movement goals itself, water protection movement goals itself, can bridge over to policy change and direct change Mm -hmm. there, because I think that really is you know the next step within this line of thought that I've been I've been thinking about, and yeah, it's a great question. I, I think. Because again, we, need every, we
0: need everyone to participate we right? need everyone to not participate. just a few yeah. of us we, yeah. we need everyone to participate to make it work
1: yeah creative action is the way to hopefully inspire others to start thinking about this but if we want and we need action now yes yeah it's a really tough thing to to think I think we just you know the masses we need more people who care <laughs> yes. um again this word care. If we have something like an ethics of care, maybe we can bridge Indigenous perspectives on how to relate to the environment with and to the water with Western views. Lots of times in Western ways of thinking we think of water as only resource mm-hmm. which it is of course we need water to su- survive but of course it's much more than resource it's a whole cultural life way for some people yeah. that's around water it's also so intrinsic to the rest of the life surrounding it so in itself it's also life right which is where this water is life right. message really resonates I think so if we have ethical viewpoints like ethics of care that can really bridge those different ideas together, maybe we can all work together. (laughs) You know, this is a very (laughs) hopeful way of thinking, but I think we have to be, right, in order to hope that there's um, a a better future for everyone. And then your question about how can, you know, the lake is so big. um, Yeah, it needs to get on that bigger, grander scale of policy change, I think, in order to really, and we need to think about it as separate places. We need to think about kind of the world's water and our action, you know, the fires in Quebec affecting everywhere around the world was just, again, a sign that shows us that what we do affects everywhere. So we need to change our mind to really understand
0: that. Well it was interesting because when we had well we have bushfires in Australia all the time, but back in two thousand nineteen where just about the whole of the country was on fire, that was kind of expected because people go, that always happens in Australia. Mm -hmm. Well look what's happening in North America now. It's happening more and more frequently. Um, mm-hmm. and that's a worry it that's is a worry oh and goodness, what what yeah. puts those fires out we need water <laughs> yeah that's another place where <laughs> to, to put the fires in. out so you know there's lots of ways that uh, water is super important to us so yeah. this is really important work that you're Thank doing you.
1: can I add in another point yes. uh, just um, I think it's really important to emphasize education you know I think teachers have an incredibly important job in the yes. world and I think it can't be ignored the importance of teaching kids at a young age what they can do helping them feel less overwhelmed kids are powerful and we've seen that with the yeah. Fridays for Future and with Greta and with uh- you know autumn peltier i think her name is as well here in canada and so many young activists and um, voices have really helped adults in powerful positions change there's actually a really great example i was reading about where to stop the ivory trade and to create laws to stop ivory and elephant Mm -hmm. hunting there is i forget where this happened but there was a meeting about it and maybe i think germany and there was a group of kids who walked in with these elephant masks and costumes and they were like stop killing the elephants and kind of did this chant and that actually made it so they stopped killing the elephants. So I think there's lots of ways where I'm not saying kids need to take the, um, they shouldn't have to take, have to take the role yeah, first. they shouldn't have to take that responsibility. They need to be kids. But I think teaching kids to not feel so powerless. It's really important. And also, you know, kids grow into adults. And then having that mindset early on that the environment is so important to to protect and to care about. And we can't just think about humans. We have to think about everyone. We can't just think about certain humans, right? Yeah, I think education is big. And I think doing this kind of radio is really important too, because it's an educational tool, creating accessible research outlets. (laughs) So it's not just in the institution at um, the academy, it's everywhere and people can learn and listen and discuss. I well, really I'm, I'm sure
0: too. we're going to get a lot of people out there saying, oh, my God, you know, I hadn't thought about it that way. I mean, a lot of the stuff that we research, some of it's common sense. Yeah, definitely. But we seem to have lost that these days, the old common sense. And we're just not thinking about it anymore because we're, we're virtually told what to do every single day.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, mm-hmm. The way our lifestyle has, has gone, which isn't necessarily a good way of living.
1: Nope exactly we need to remember to question and think critically <laughs> yes
0: <laughs> really good stuff that you're doing here so do you think this kind of research that you're doing can apply in other scenarios
1: yeah I think so I something I, th- I talk about in the, at the end of my thesis paper is how maybe opportunities for further research or how this can Um, A big part of environmental studies here at Queen's is the word sustainability. So Mm. how can this tie in? And because I was looking at this from an ethics of care theoretical standpoint, I was thinking about this idea of relational links and how we can't just think about ourselves. And to me, the word sustainable and to others in the literature too, something that's sustainable is something that endures. So we need to recognize the limits of our own actions within the limits of the biosphere to ensure that it endures for now and for future future, future, and for everyone, right? So I think this research offers kind of, you know, discusses the role of creative action in the water protection movement, but as well, it also talks about different ways of understanding our relationship to water Mm -hmm. and therefore also other elements in the environment. And so I think... Having more of these conversations, and there is some out there about in the literature about changing the way we relate to water, changing the way we relate to nature, that hopefully can help, you know, maybe we can merge the bridge, different ways of seeing with indigenous peoples as well right. and different cultures. And mm-hmm. then having that within science, having that within um, decisions for, you know, within our cities and our climate and our infrastructure and our systems having those different ways of seeing (laughs) bridged so then we all get you know water as resource and we can use it but then we also think about it as more than that um, for example and having that um, uh, echoed within policy and practice
0: I love that terminology of ethics of care I really do Mm -hmm. Um, because it's not a way that I actually thought about it and, and you're right, we need to look after ourselves. How do we look after ourselves? How do we look after people around us? How do we look after the environment? How do we look after the world? Yeah. Because we are all connected. Whether we want to be or not, we are all connected. Exactly. And so it's it's you're going to get a lot of people talking about this, I am sure. So I really appreciate you coming on. And it's interesting too because I was looking at some of the things that you like to do outside of your classroom mm-hmm. is – you're really into the outdoors club and you know volunteering for Camp look and stuff like that, which is lovely. So again, back to nature. Yeah, and exactly. being out there and 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 I'm I'm assuming with some of the people teaching them how to look after the nature while you're enjoying it at the same time. Hmm, very important
1: to enjoy our time. Just even going for a walk in nature, hike. It can do so much uh, for us. So it can yes. make us feel so calm. For me, looking out at Lake Ontario and swimming in the water in the summer has really helped me feel calm throughout yes. you know the turmoils <laughs> but, <laughs> no. but yeah I think you know appreciating like that is really important too
0: that's great well keep up the good work thank um, you. you I hope you'll continue to do some of this work because you have clearly got lots to say and lots that you could be doing to sort of spread the word and get more people on board thinking thinking about it this way and to help us in general so thank you very much for coming on the show thanks for your time Colette Never you're very us. welcome. So that's it, everyone. A Another week of Grad Chat sadly comes to an end. Don't forget you can download the show tomorrow from either iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify or CFRC Podcast. Just type in Grad Chat. Until next week, this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big hooray.